Do take a seat. It's uh, such a joy for me to be with you. Thank you so much for the, uh, the welcome and the opportunity to be with you this morning. And I do want to look with you at this beautiful psalm, Psalm 19. So uh, either from the words on the screen or if you have a, a Bible or an app nearby, uh, let's focus on this passage. Human beings are remarkable communicators, aren't they? We constantly are communicating. Just think of all the words that you speak, messages, emails, conversations, debates, movies, endless scrolling on our phones. Uh, constantly we are bombarded by communication. Messages, some of them important, some trivial, some controversial, some beautiful. How come we are so communicative? I think the Bible's answer is that we are made in the image of God who is the ultimate communicator. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, it says, and God said. Third verse of the Bible. And from that moment on, God is always speaking and God's words are powerful and God's words are life-giving and life-changing. And what God says demands response. We, we have to do something with the words that God speaks to us. And actually what we say back to God shapes our relationship with God. You might say back nothing or speak back words of anger, or speak back words of desire, or love, or devotion. Well, actually, the psalm, Psalm 19, is all about God's communication to us and the way that we respond to that and speak back to him. We're going to look at it in three sections. It begins with the voice of creation. Then it goes to the voice of Scripture. And then finally, the voice of response as David the psalmist speaks back to God. So first of all, the voice of creation. Uh, we kind of need to imagine David perhaps out in the wilderness or in the countryside somewhere, strumming the first chord on his lyre and uh, looks up into the night sky and it's absolutely crowded with stars and planets. You know how it is when you're away from the city and you look up into the sky and it's just absolutely magnificent. Billions of stars. And then come the cool, crisp desert morning, the sun comes up. And he describes it in these opening verses as sweeping across the sky. It's like a, uh, a bridegroom, it, it says, marching out on his wedding day. And then nothing's going to stop a bridegroom on, its we on his wedding day, is it? He he's going to go there and uh, meet his bride. And the sun marches across the sky, sweeps across, and it and it says uh, there in verse 6, nothing is hidden from its heat. David says, all this, the, the stars of the sky, the, the sun sweeping 
across. All this is a declaration. If you have a look at the opening verses there, the heavens declare, the sky proclaims. Day after day, they pour out speech. Uh, there are words. Their voice is heard everywhere. It's a worldwide, global, endless proclamation. This is, if you like, God's universal, non-stop sermon. What's he preaching about? What is God's constant message? And it says it right there in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's a sermon God is preaching in creation about his majesty, his power, his immensity. And we need to remember that as we look at creation. It's not just nature, it's God's handiwork. The, the beauty of a sunset is a statement by God about God. The power of a tornado is a statement about God. The gentleness of a dewdrop is a statement about God. And we're meant to realize that this stunning and vast creation is not an accident. It's not the result of chance processes. If, you're, uh, if you stumble across an old shed, you've got an old shed in the backyard, you're cleaning it out, it's full of dirt and dust, and you stumble across there an old painting. But all over it, there's spider webs and spiders and bugs crawling around. Well, you don't thank the spiders for doing the painting, do you? You, you know that it's not their work. You know that that is the work of an artist. And if it's great art, it's the work of a great artist. And the whole of creation is the greatest artwork ever. And we're meant to look at it and see this is the work of a brilliant artist. In Romans chapter 1 that we read before, the Apostle Paul says there is sufficient evidence in the whole of creation that there is a God. So much evidence, he says, that all people are without excuse. There's evidence for all of us to know there is an immense, powerful, beautiful, glorious God. To deny that Paul says, is to suppress the truth. So friends, we have to stop often and listen to the sermon preached in creation. Pause and see in the things that God has made the statement he is making about himself. Even if you're caught up in a Crazy busy life, maybe some of your students, maybe you're working professionally, maybe you're here in the, the rush, rush and bustle of city life, but even then, we need to stop, just pause, see beautiful things, see things that God has made, and then lift your eyes above to see the Creator. On the basis of creation alone, we should be people who worship 
God. But here's the thing. People will only hear and respond to the voice of creation if they have made the transition that the psalm now makes. After six verses about creation, there are five verses about the word of God. And so we move from the voice of creation to the voice of Scripture. Begins in verse 7. How does, how does David, singing the song, writing the psalm, make this transition? Well, it comes off the back of verse 6. Verse 6 is talking about the sun sweeping across the sky, and it says there, nothing is hidden from its heat. And actually, that is true of this next thing that he contemplates, the word of God. Nothing is hidden from its heat. It's the scriptures that really shine light. It's the scriptures that really expose everything. You can't hide from its heat, and it warms your heart like nothing else. And the written word of God, the Bible, is essential if we're to really hear God speak. Because whilst creation is powerful in its proclamation, creation cannot speak to us of the saving grace of God. And creation, whilst powerful, cannot change our hearts and reconcile us to God. Now, the great Reformed theologian John Calvin said that as we look at creation, we're like, he said, bleary, weak-eyed old men. We can barely see anything. In fact, um, maybe I'm one of those bleary, weak-eyed old men. If I took my glasses off, you would just be a blur. And that's kind of how it is when we look at creation. It's just a blur. We don't really see what it's saying until, John Calvin said, we put on the spectacles of Scripture. And Scripture then enables us to see clearly what God is saying. Now, this, this next section of the psalm is just beautiful, and um, you'll have to excuse the focus on grammar. I don't know whether you love grammar. I don't know whether you love English grammar. Uh, but there are a bunch of nouns, adjectives, and verbs. Remember that stuff? Uh, first of all, the nouns, words that name the word of God. Verse 7 and onwards, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. They're all words used to name the law of God. Torah, the first five books of the Bible for David. And they were not just laws and rules. They were a story of who God is and how to respond to him. And for us, that story of who God is and how to respond to him is found in the whole of Scripture, not just the first five books of the Bible, but the whole of the Bible is given to us. But what's it like? What's the Bible like? Is it difficult? Is it a dated, dusty old book? 
Well, that's not what David thinks. Have a look at the adjectives, the words that describe the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony is sure. The precepts are right. The commandment is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rule of the Lord are true. Aren't they lovely words? In a world of fake news, in a world where there are so many messages that you can't trust or perhaps that you just don't want to hear, there's so much on the news every night, isn't there, that's deeply disturbing and ugly. But God speaks that which is pure, true, right, good, clean. And because his words are pure and true and clean, they do good things. We come lastly to the verbs. The law of the Lord is perfect. Look what it does. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever, righteous altogether. And in many ways, those are the very things we all seek, aren't they? Don't, don't you want to be wise, enlightened? Right? Sure? Wouldn't you love to be inwardly renewed? That's what it talks about, reviving the soul. Where do you look to revive your soul? Some people do just look to creation, to what they would call nature, apart from God, hoping that time in creation, time in nature will restore them. And, and to a degree it does, but not enough. Many people look within that's what our culture teaches us to do, isn't it? To, to look within for inward renewal. Many other people seek a revived soul, enlightened eyes, just in all that the world offers. Possessions, travel, careers, success. But the Bible here is giving us a completely different pathway to a restored soul. It offers us God's own words to revive us. It's saying his words will breathe life into you. And it says his words are truly precious. You notice that David says there in verse 10, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey, Honey was the sweetest food known at the time. There was no refined sugar. Honey was as sweet as it got. He's saying God's word is sweeter. Gold was the most precious metal. The Bible's more precious. If you don't like sweet food, I'm happy for you to substitute this. The Bible's better than pizza and lasagna. Or um, I should really have thought of some Indonesian dish, shouldn't I? Think of your favorite Indonesian. The Bible is better. If you're not into gold, the Bible's better than a Tesla. It's better than this, the nicest house, the, the, the best tech you can purchase. The Bible is better, David is saying. And he actually says there two very, very precious things. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is great reward. And don't we need both those things? Warning against all that's false and dangerous and unhealthy for our souls. 
and the reward of knowing God and being close to him. David's dwelling in these verses, isn't he, on how good scripture is. Friends, it's worth being a person of the book, the Bible. It's not just an ancient document, though it is ancient. It's not just a rule book, though it's got lots of rules. It's not just a dictionary of topics, though there's loads of topics covered in Scripture. No, the Bible is life-giving communication from God. In this book, God will feed your soul. So read it slowly and savour it. Lick it like honey. Treasure it like gold. It'll feed you. It'll reward you. But it will also expose you. It'll search you out. It'll hunt you down. I want to look with you now at the transition to the last part of the psalm. We've had six verses on creation, five verses on the word of God. You guessed it, we've got four verses on the voice of response. The transition from the first section to the second was that there's, there's no hiding from the light and the heat of the sun. And the word of God is like that too. And now the transition from the second section to the third is that there, there's no hiding from the light and heat of God's word. And so that's what generates now David's response. Because scripture hunts us down and seeks us out and exposes everything, the first thing David says there in verse 12 is who can discern his errors? He says, I don't even know my own heart. God's word will seek it out, but I, often I just don't even understand what's going on in my own heart. And he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He knows the reality that there's, there's often fault and failure in our life and we're not even aware of it. I know this lovely uh, person who talks compulsively like she's charming, but she just talks and talks and talks and talks. You can't get a word in edgeways. But there's one thing that really frustrates her. People who talk compulsively and you can't get a word in edgeways. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? We're so often like that. The thing we see in others, we don't see in ourselves. Sometimes we're blind to our own faults, not because they're so small, but because we're so familiar with them. And so we must ask God to search our hearts, expose what's really inside us. And then David goes on to talk about presumptuous sins. The Old Testament the law of God that David has talked about had, had different categories of sin. There's sin that's unintentional. We didn't, we didn't mean to do it. But there's also sin that's intentional, presumptuous, high-handed. 
We do it knowingly, rebelliously. And in the Old Testament law, there were sacrifices for the forgiveness of unintentional sin, but there were no offerings to deal with high-handed, presumptuous sin. The law actually said, such a person shall be cut off from God's people. But I think the terrifying thing is this. I don't only commit unintentional sins, but too often deliberate sin, quite knowingly. And I suspect you're the same too. We have a deep heart problem. That's why David is crying out here, declare me innocent, keep me back, make me blameless. Well, how can that possibly be? How can God do that? And it's actually back in the second section of the psalm. It's in the voice of Scripture that we find the answer to that. And the amazing answer is this. We've seen how good the Word of God is, but the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is called the Word of God. And everything that we've just seen about the Word of God is true of Jesus. He was a human who was perfect and sure and right and pure and good. He was a man whose soul was revived, whose eyes were enlightened, whose heart rejoiced in the Lord. But then in stunning grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, with no unintentional sin and definitely no high-handed sin, in his kindness, he offered himself up to take the punishment for all our sin. To take the punishment for unintended sin and even to take the punishment for intentional presumptuous sin. And so what we find is that through Jesus, we really discover a whole new dimension to the glory of God. Uh, creation declares to us his invisible qualities, but the gospel writes on our hearts the glory of his grace. And so we come to the last verse of the psalm. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David's offering up the psalm to the Lord, but I think actually he's offering up the whole of his life to the Lord. He wants his whole life to be acceptable to God, and it will be because of who God is. God is our rock. You can rest on him, you can lean on him, you can rely on him when you can't rely on yourself or anyone else. And God is our Redeemer, the one who has come in the person of Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Friends, I started off by saying our world is full of communication. But the most important communication in your life is the communication that takes place between God and your soul. What is God saying to you in creation and in his word? And what are you saying back to him? Listen to his voice in creation. 
treasure his words in Scripture. And then with your own heart, confess sin, known and unknown, small and big. Offer up your life to God. Say, I I want my life to be acceptable to you. And most of all, lean on God as your rock and trust him as your redeemer. You know, friends, when we do that, our lives start to join with the voice of creation and with the voice of Scripture in declaring the glory of God. As you live by faith in Jesus Christ, you become one of the many who declares the glory of God. Let's pray.